Good morning. Welcome to and from Lake Road Chapel. This is a real treat for me to be able to be preaching in the pulpit again. And uh, I trust that you're well wherever you're listening from. So I'll bring you greetings from Lake Road Chapel. Today we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 4 to 10. And the message of 1 Peter is to equip believers in Jesus to live a life on mission together, bearing witness to the Lord Jesus. What are the dynamics of the Christian life? How do you become a Christian? How do you grow as a Christian to live a life on mission to Jesus? That is the focus of 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. I like three points. And if I'm having a good week, even two points. This week, the passage won and I lost. I couldn't find a nice, simple sermon outline. So you'll be absolutely thrilled today to know I have an eight-pointer. Yeah, that's right, eight points to my sermon. And first of all, the passage that we are going to read is going to call us to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Secondly, we come to Jesus by faith. Thirdly, we come to Jesus continually. Fourthly, we come to Jesus corporately. That means we come to him together. Fifthly, we come to Jesus to be like him. Sixthly, we come to Jesus to praise him. Seventh, we come to Jesus to proclaim him. And finally, and eighthly, if there is such a word, we come to Jesus for mercy. Let us bow our heads as we pray before we come to the reading of God's word. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that every word is living and operative. Father, help us as we read the scriptures to learn what you would have to say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in 1 Peter 2, we'll be reading verses 4 to 10. So that's 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
and may God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Peter takes us onto a building site. He takes us on a tour of a construction of a great temple. God himself is the builder of the temple. God, like a master builder, shaping the stones that will fit together as this temple rises for his glory. The most important stone is the cornerstone. In the ancient world, the cornerstone must be perfect so that every other stone carefully fitted to it. Every other stone in the building derived its contours, its dimensions, its shape from the cornerstone. And Peter says that the cornerstone is a living stone because the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. So God in this glorious great construction project makes use of building materials suitable to be built into the cornerstone, the living stone. God uses living stones to build the temple. That is, hearts that have been brought to faith through the living and abiding word of God. A living stone is a heart that has been born again, that has been brought to faith by the living and abiding word of God. And Peter, in his language about the cornerstone, is drawing from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Psalm 118, verse 22, Isaiah 8, verse 14. Jesus is the cornerstone chosen and precious to God. And we are living stones. And as we are fitted into him, we are fitted and connected to one another. And so the church of Jesus Christ, which is the temple, will grow. But do you see the primary metaphor that Peter is working with? That we are on the building site. So we see the church, which is the temple of God, where he dwells. The church, the temple of God, is where his presence is known in the world. And we are seeing the church of Jesus Christ beginning to grow. Growing as lives are changed and brought into union with Jesus, the cornerstone. So my first point is, come to Jesus. What use Peter is making of this great principle, this great metaphor? And the first and the most obvious answer is the first use that Peter is making, that Jesus is the cornerstone and other stones being fitted into him, is that we must come to Jesus. As you come to him, the living stone, everything else follows from coming to him, the living stone, which speaks to the fundamental uniqueness of the Christian gospel. All other religions of the world, 
all spirituality and self-help methodologies. Invite you to do something. Invite you to do a piece of work. To engage in some ritual. To search within yourself. To seek out some experience. But the Christian gospel does not point to self-discovery or self-help. The heart of the gospel is an invitation not to look within, but to meet a person outside of ourselves. To meet Jesus Christ. To come to Jesus, the living stone chosen by God and precious. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. My dear friends, have you come to Jesus? Secondly, come to Jesus by faith. How do you come to Jesus Christ? Come to Jesus and come by faith. Verses 6 to 8. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So when Jesus says, come They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So when Peter says, come to Jesus the cornerstone, what does he mean? Does he mean come to the church building on Sunday? Well, how's that working out for you right now? I wish it was different. I really wish it was different. But what does it mean actually to come to Jesus? It doesn't mean come into a building. It means come to Jesus believing. Come to Jesus by faith. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe. Those who do not believe stumble. Jesus is the cornerstone. The only options available are that you come to the cornerstone in faith and are built into this great building, this temple that God is constructing in the world. Or you trip over Jesus, you stumble over him to your destruction. Those are the options that are available to us all. So how do you come to Jesus? There is nothing to do but believe. You are a sinner, me too. We stand by nature guilty in the sight of God. But God has provided his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to obey God's holy law that we have all broken, to live the life that we should have lived. And his son has paid the price. He has paid the ransom, the debt that we could never pay. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die. And therefore, Jesus is the perfect 
saviour of sinners who is offered to you in the gospel. Come to him. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus by faith. Come to him believing, resting on him. Trust in Jesus. Abandon your confidence in yourself. Reject the counterfeits of the world. Put your trust in Jesus alone. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus by faith. And thirdly, come to Jesus continually. Come to him not just once at the beginning of your Christian walk. Come to Jesus continually. Keep coming to Jesus. Look at verse 4 again. As you come to him a living stone, you are being built up. A better translation might be, come into him. Or, while you keep on coming to Jesus, the cornerstone, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. The whole life of the Christian, the whole life of the Christian is summed up there in that phrase. Because Christians are always coming to Jesus, the living stone. And that is the definition of a Christian, somebody who is continually, always coming to Jesus, the living stone. My dear friend, you never outgrow your need of Jesus. If you think about the most mature, godly Christian that you know, that person whose face always seems to shine with graciousness, kindness, gentleness, meekness and joy as they follow Jesus. Maybe they've walked with the Lord for years and years and years and they are in your mind an example of Christian holiness. Peter is saying that they need to come to Jesus as much today as they did when they took their first steps in their journey of faith. I, I love this, but there are oceans. There are oceans of fascination and wonder in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about his mission from the Father. Jesus, the eternal Son, sent from eternity as the only Redeemer of God's elect. Think about his incarnation. I encourage you this week, at the out, a week ago, to think on Jesus this week. Think of his incarnation, his coming in the womb of the Virgin, in the person of the Son of God, united forever to human nature. I think about his humble birth, his obedience, his suffering, his preaching, his miracles, his cross. The empty tomb, his resurrection, his ascension. Think about Christ our prophet who reveals the Father to us. Think about Christ our priest who makes atonement in the sacrifice of himself. Whoever lives to intercede for us. Think about Christ our king who rules and governs us subdues us to himself and takes dominion over 
all his and our enemies. Think about Jesus reigning now at the right hand of God the Father until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet and the nations are made his inheritance. Think about Jesus coming again when the trumpet sounds and the skies will split and he comes with the multitude, the company of the heavenly hosts to bring all to judgment day. Think about him presiding over saints and angels in the new creation. Glorified wounds being the object of our wonder and of our worship forever. Jesus. 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 To whom you are invited to come and keep on coming. Is endlessly fascinating, my friend. Endlessly satisfying. Endlessly glorious. You can never drink the well of his grace and glory dry. You can never ask more of him than he can give. You can never hurt more than he can heal. You can never sin more than he can redeem. You do not outgrow Jesus. You do not move past Jesus. The Christian life is one of continually coming to Jesus, resting on him, rejoicing in him. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus in faith and come to Jesus continually. And fourthly, come to Jesus together. We're not mavericks. We're not lone rangers. At least we're not supposed to be. The you in verse 4 is plural. You yourselves, verse 5, brings out that point. And remember the metaphor that Peter is working with, that we're on the construction site of a great temple. It is built on the living stone of Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. Every other stone is shaped in direct relation to him, fitted carefully into him as it were. And since every stone must fit into him. Every stone fits into every other stone. We are joined together in Jesus Christ. That is Peter's metaphor, that we are one. Block to block, stone to stone, integrated into the whole, the temple of the living God. There is no growth without this corporate dimension of the Christian life. This, together, this togetherness theme. And it has huge implications for the way we live our Christian faith. It reminds us that the ordinary way that God has ordained for us to grow, to mature, and to come continually to Jesus, is to come to Jesus together. We talk about the means of grace. And what, and what is meant is that the word of God is read, is preached, is prayed and sung and seen in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. The means of grace, though, are primarily corporate in their character. We do these things together. 
And by using them together by faith, we grow. We grow into one another and into Christ. We come to Christ together. Now, that is of a special challenge to us right now. When we're unable to gather together as the church. There has never been a day like lockdown when Christian resources, including our church, is available online. And we're thankful and we rejoice that technology is available and utilised for good. So that the ministry of the word can reach into our lives, into our homes. And we're so very grateful for it. But watching online is no substitute for the assembly of God's people. Not even the poor. So we need to hear Peter's message very clearly. That there is a one anotherness that is non-negotiable to the Christian life. We've been studying the book of James as well recently. We, we do it on Thursday nights in our Bible studies. And chapter 2 just hits you, doesn't it? There is no place for partiality, favouritism in the Christian life. There is no place at all. It is a denial of the faith. Know that there is a one anotherness. There is kindness, gentleness. There is a togetherness that is non-negotiable to the Christian life. We need one another. I need you, you need me. We need to see one another impacted by the words. We need to hear one another singing praises. And calling out to the Lord Jesus. So I think there is no time like now to be reminded of what the Bible says. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as we see the great day approaching. We need to be together. There is a coming to Christ and that, 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 that requires being together to do it. And we pray, let us pray that that day would be soon. Come to Jesus Come to Jesus by faith. Come to Jesus continually. Come to Jesus together. Let us make that our prayer, that we can do that again soon. And number five, come to Jesus to be like him, which is the great longing of every believer's heart, to be like my saviour, to bear his moral likeness in my life. The greatest regrets of my heart are the places where I am more like who I was than who my Saviour has called me to be. Jesus is the living stone and you yourselves like living stones are built up as a spiritual house. The life from the cornerstone flows into the living stones. You are living because you're connected to the living cornerstone. And that same note comes out again in verse 7. When Peter says the honour is for you who believe. And the word for honour is the same word that Peter used in verse 4 to describe how God views Jesus, the cornerstone, that Jesus is chosen and precious. And the word precious and honour are translated from the same Greek word. Jesus is precious treasure to God. And those who are built in, on him, built into him, 
into this temple, fitted into the cornerstone, united to Jesus, are precious too. You are precious treasure to God. The character and stamp and likeness of Jesus begins to shine in you as you keep on coming to him. That is what Peter is saying. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus by faith. Come to Jesus continually. Come to Jesus together and come to be made like him. And sixthly, motoring along now, come to Jesus to praise him. Those who come to Christ are given a new identity. You become living stones. And Peter mixes the metaphor to begin to highlight not just our new identity, but also our new mission. You see that in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He thinks about the temple, the spiritual house that God is building. And then he thinks about those who labour in the temple, the priesthood. We are not just a temple where God resides, but we are a priesthood to offer praises to God. It's said in churches like ours that we do not have priests. One of the great principal achievements of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, is to re was to remove priesthood from the structured life of the church. And there is a wonderful sense that is gloriously true. Jesus is the perfect high priest who by the sacrifice of himself has made atonement for sin once and for all and has done away with the need of priesthood and sacrifice to reconcile us to God. My friend, we need no other priest. We need no other mediator but Jesus Christ himself. And thank the Lord that that is true. We do not have a priestly caste, a clerical order of priests in the Church of Jesus Christ. But the reformers who emphasised that reminded us too that while there is no special office or order of priests, there is a general office of priesthood that belongs to all believers. The priesthood of all believers. If you are a Christian... You're a priest called to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? We may remember in the Levitical Code that there were two broad classes of sacrifice that were offered by the priests. One was the atoning sacrifice for sin and guilt. And that sacrifice is now rendered obsolete by the coming of the Lord Jesus. It has been fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We do not offer atoning sacrifices because it is finished. The work is done, payment is paid, the debt has been paid, atonement has been secured. The other classes, class of sacrifice, though, was of thanksgiving and praise. And while because of the cross we no longer need to offer blood sacrifices, 
we still offer the sacrifice of praise and of thanksgiving and of worship to God. And that is our task and that is our calling. And it means, of course, that worship, the praise of God, is not incidental to our Christian lives. It is the central duty of a Christian believer. You've been redeemed. You've been incorporated into Christ so that you may offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we are here. That is why we exist. That is why you've been saved by grace, that you may make much of him, delight in him, adore him. So, come to Jesus. Secondly, come to Jesus in faith. Thirdly, come to Jesus continually. Fourthly, come to Jesus together. Fifthly, come to Jesus to be made like him. And sixthly, come to Jesus to praise him. But not only to praise him, point seven, come to Jesus to proclaim him. What is the mission and the task of a priesthood? Not just to praise him, but to proclaim him. Verse nine, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We're on mission together. And what is our task? It is to pro proclaim his excellencies to the world because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And Peter there is drawing that vocabulary from Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, where Israel was gathered at the Mount of Mount Sinai. Remember when we studied the wonderful book of Exodus only in the past few months? And there God, in, God con, con, constitutes them a body politic, giving them their national constitution in the Mosaic law, the holy law. And he says about them these words. And now Peter is saying that if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, you are being grafted into the Israel of God. And their task, this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, what is it that they've been called to do? Well, Peter says that they've been called to proclaim his excellencies. That is also likely reflecting the Greek Old Testament scriptures from places like Isaiah 43, verses 20 to 21, where Israel's task was to proclaim his mighty deeds. But Peter does not simply have worship in mind when he calls us to proclaim his excellencies, his mighty deeds. He's thinking about our mission in the world around us. And Peter is aware of how the words and works, the life and the stance of believers are received, interpreted, heard and understood by the unbelieving world around us. And so he says, yes, I want you to praise God as it were vertically, which is part of our core mission, but we are to be so captured with wonder and his goodness and grace that we cannot help but proclaim him to the world horizontally as well. We are to proclaim his mighty deeds, his many surpassing excellencies. You know when you 
fall in love or when you were younger, when you were younger and you saw your friends fall in love? Do you remember that they just drove you nuts? Never stopping to talk about their beloved? The funny thing they said the other day and on and on and on and on they ramble about their favourite someone. Why are they do, doing that? It's not a duty. It's not a duty to them. It's pouring out of them. It's bubbling out of them. Because they are delighted with the one they love. And Peter is saying to us, understand the wonder of the grace of God in the gospel. You've been brought into the nearest possible relation to Jesus Christ. You've been built into the temple, into the cornerstone himself. And now you are a living stone too. You are becoming a temple where God is going to dwell. God is going to inhabit you with his very presence. How do you keep that to yourself? Why is it not bubbling out of you? One has to ask if we do not proclaim to others. Do we really think God is worth praising at all? If we see his infinite praiseworthiness, we would open our mouths every chance we can, every chance we get to proclaim his excellencies to the world. The best evangelists are often the most fervent worshippers. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus by faith. Come to Jesus continually. Come to Jesus together. Come to Jesus to be made like him. Come to Jesus to praise him. Come to Jesus to proclaim him. And that number eight, we're there. Number eight, come to Jesus for mercy. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just think with me about the progression of Peter's thoughts. We begin, we, begin, we begin by coming to Jesus. And that's where we started our line of thought. And then we thought about the blessings that we enjoy in Jesus, the privileges that are ours. And then we began to, began to think about the duties that belong to coming to Jesus, to praise him, to proclaim him. And now we're right back to the beginning where Peter reminds us about that we have received mercy. My dear friend, we can busy ourselves in his praise and in sharing the gospel with the world and pour out your life in service of King Jesus. You may even feel that you've made a significant difference and an impact for your Saviour's name and take real and appropriate satisfaction in what you have done for him but when you've done all that you can there is nothing for you to boast is there after all what have you that you have not received to what can you point that is not a fruit of the mercy of God freely poured out upon you through Jesus Christ our Lord we are debtors to mercy alone. Is that not right? We owe it all to mercy. And actually seeing the wonder of the mercy and the kindness of God 
is what will melt our hearts, loosen our tongues in praise and proclamation. Maybe you are yet to come to Jesus. Hear our Lord's invitation and hear it urgently. Come to Jesus. Do not trip over him. Do not let him be the cause of your stumbling. Instead, see that there is life alone in him. There is life for you connected to him. Only in connection to Jesus. Come to him, the living stone, and live. Come to Jesus. Maybe you have come by God's grace. Are you coming continually? Are you coming corporately? And I say that carefully, knowing that we would, I'm sure, if we could. But we can still come together in the sense of being joined, united to King Jesus and to one another. Have you been wavering? Apply that to your devotion to Jesus and to one another, even in the context of lockdown. Come and meet the Lord Jesus. Come to Jesus. We thankfully, we pray that we will be able to do so corporately together soon. But there are ways that we can come to Jesus by staying connected to the ministry of, of the word, in the praising of his name. We can worship, we can proclaim him and see the wonder of his mercy. Never stray from Calvary. Come to Calvary. Look at the nail marks on his hands and his feet. See what he did for you. See what love the Father has poured out for, for you in his son, Jesus Christ. Let mercy melt your heart, loosen your tongue. Fulfill the mission given to you as a spiritual house, a priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people of God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. In Jesus there is mercy for you. Come to him, come to Jesus, and find the mercy that you need. May God bless the word for his glory and for our eternal good. I'm going to close by reading the benediction at the end of Jude, one of my favourite Benedictions in the Bible, Jude, that lovely book towards the end of the Bible. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Saviour through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.